Gentlemen, I'd love you just to stand and welcome Apostle Mike. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Amen. Thank you. <laughs> Great to be here. Wow. So, can I just give Jesus a clap before we sit down? He is so, he's so the best. Jesus, we honour you. You reign and we honour you and thank you. We invite you to come and touch our hearts. Lord, we want you to come by revelation to our hearts, that our hearts would awaken to the hour we're in and the importance of our lives being prepared. We open ourselves to you, say, come and touch us. Let the word not just be words, but let it be your voice to our heart. We open our heart to your voice to receive and to hear you. Apply the word where it fits to our life. In Jesus' name. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, so good to be with you. And we've loved being with uh, Brent and Patricia. We've had such fun. Such fun. You can't believe the fun we have. And, uh, and it's the way it ought to be, too. We should be able to enjoy one another and the things of the Lord and enjoy our relationships and enjoy the presence of God. And it was such a great meeting last night. Such a great meeting. And uh, I loved it. Then when my wife was sharing, I felt very deeply sad inside that I was probably the cause of a lot of that. And uh, I, if she'd had an older call, I probably would have come up. <laughs> but uh, God has been very good. You'll love her message. And uh, she speaks uh, out, of, out of the heart over what God has done. And we've experienced amazing, amazing transformation miracles. And uh, so I do encourage you to come bring a friend. Okay, well, open your Bible with me in Matthew chapter 24. And uh, I, I've been doing a series here, and, and uh, Pastor, Brent, uh, Pastor Brent asked him if I would complete it. I wonder, you want me to do the other one? Because I sort of hinted at it, never did it. And, uh, but we did uh, a series of uh, teachings. We did one on the, uh, the wise and foolish virgins, and then we did one on the parable of the talents. And, uh, but I said that there were three parables there that Jesus spoke, and I want to then bring and teach on the third parable, which is actually the first one that he shared. And uh, so I encourage you just to really open your heart up to let God speak to you. We're living in an amazing time, a time of, uh, of upheaval in the world and, and a time when we need to be sensitive to what God is saying. We have need for a great move of God, a move of the Spirit, but the church has to awaken we actually have to awaken. We can't look around and be negative about what's going on. You've actually got to see that God has chosen to bring solutions through people. It's always been that way. And uh, when I share the message on, uh, on what it means to be a son and daughter of the living God, we're going to talk about that tonight. Um, you'll find that there's three facets of it. One is intimacy with God as our Father and to be in love with Him, to be passionate in love with Jesus. A second is the realm of our assignment, what we're responsible to do as His representatives. And a third is the realm of letting God transform us. In other words, change our heart and character. So all three are part of what it means to be a son or a daughter. If you miss one of those aspects in your life, your life will never mature. It can't mature as God intends. And so when we share the parable of the talents, the focus of the talent is primarily about intimacy with the Lord. And the parable that Jesus spoke is all done within the context of a second coming. So I want to then just read now the first of those parables found in Matthew chapter 24. Read it in verse 45 through to 51. Then I'm going to open up this parable for you. And, uh, and these, these are teachings Jesus gives to his followers. So they're relevant for us today even more than they were in those days because we're approaching his coming. Here it is. Matthew 24 verse 45. Who then is that wise and faithful servant whom his master has made ruler over his household to give them food in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. And uh, he said, assuredly, I say to you that I will make him, that he will make him ruler over all his goods. But if that evil servant say in his heart, my master delays his coming and begins to beat the fellow servants and to eat and drink with drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day he's not looking for him in an hour he's not aware of, and he will cut him in two and appoint his portion with the hypocrites, and there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, this parable corresponds to a teaching Jesus gave in Luke chapter 12, verse 35 to uh, 38, and uh, particularly uh, to 48, rather, 35 to 48. So in other words, Jesus teaches it here, and I'm going to focus on the one here, but when he does it in Luke chapter 12, he adds some things in 
that are not present here. So I'll just pull them up and show them to you as we get to that part. So let's just focus on the story here. So uh, you notice there that he's now talking about the Lord and his household. In Matthew 25, he's talking about the Lord returning and the virgins preparing. Then he talks about the master who goes away to receive a kingdom and return. And so what Jesus is saying simply is that when he returns, then he will make the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our Lord, but of his Christ, his anointed body. Now, how do you think that's going to all happen? See, see, most of us don't think the thing through or just inquire a bit more about what might happen. And God is not just going to do it all on his own. He's going to do it with people. So think about this. If the Lord is going to establish his kingdom in the earth, that means that the systems of education and governance, of finance, uh, of social care, of uh, every aspect of society will need new leadership and rulership. So where's God going to find the people to lead? Very simple. He set a plan in place that he would depart for a period of 2,000 years or so. And during that season, in every generation, there would be people called to participate in the training preparation process so that at the day of his coming, he now has a company of people that can help him in his governance and extending his kingdom in the earth. You're in that season of preparation now. So when you gain that paradigm of a coming kingdom and the master preparing people for it, you realize my life now is not all about my ministry. It's not all about the things I'm into. It's actually a life of preparation for an eternity. And God offers reward for those who are faithful in their preparation process. And he offers there's loss for those who fail. Now, we don't, like to, we don't like to think that way. We like to think, well, everyone gets in and it's all about Jesus and he did it all on the cross. Yes, our salvation, being brought into a relationship with God, is freely done on the work of another. We rest on the work Jesus did. But after you're born into the family of God, his plan is to mature us to become sons and daughters, and that maturity takes a process. So there are things you must do in that process. Develop intimacy learn how to serve and be faithful in that serving and let God change your heart and life. So uh, we're not going to, I'm going to just focus on this parable here. So here it is. Now, firstly, look at the context of it. When you, when you read a story, you've always got to see what, what's, who are the people hearing this? What was going on about that time? And here it is in Matthew 24. It says in verse three, it says, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, well, when will all these things be? What will be the sign of your coming in the end of the age? So he's just told them the temple will be taken down, every stone will be pulled down, and not one stone left upon a stone. And so they say, well, what is the sign of all this happening? So through, the barrel, through Matthew 24, he begins to share uh, about the, uh, uh, the destruction of the temple and what will happen around that. And those, interesting, in history, those Christians who remembered the teaching of Jesus vacated Jerusalem prior to its destruction. There was not one Christian left in Jerusalem because they remembered what he had said. And when the signs became apparent, they took action, prepared themselves, and were not involved in the destruction of the temple and, uh, and, the, uh, and the slavery that followed and the terrible, terrible annihilation of so many people. So Jesus gave, uh, in his discourse on Matthew 24, a whole series of things that would happen in the end times. He said there'd be false Christ, people coming and presenting themselves as a Christ. There would be wars, there'd be, wars, there'd be rumors of wars, there'd be famines, uh, there'd be pestilence or, or uh, viruses and things that would be global in their scale. And we're starting to just get a glimpse of that actually could be a reality. I mean, if you've been in lockdown and you've been wearing a mask, suddenly the statement of Jesus becomes far more relevant because we realize actually what, what we thought could never happen suddenly has happened. You know, you, everyone's shut down, the borders are closed, you've got all these things happening. Who'd have ever thought of that a year ago? No one we wouldn't have thought of that. So then many things will come on the earth we haven't seen yet. And so he gave a, a detailed description of that. And then he, he reveals himself in different ways. In the parable of the, uh, of the virgins, he reveals he's the bridegroom in love with the bride that must prepare. 
See, in the, uh, in the parable of the servants, he reveals he's the king coming to promote his servants who have qualified. And then later on, he also reveals himself later on in Matthew 25 as the judge who will sort out the nations of the earth and bring judgments. So he reveals himself in all his various offices. And uh, so these, these parables are all have a common theme through them. So each parable is its own story, but they all are linked as part of one big thing. And the theme of it is the necessity of preparation, the necessity of preparation. Uh, in other words, Jesus in the three parables teaches us what his expectation is of how you would prepare yourself and how you would behave. Now, this is not just some teaching I'm bringing. This is Jesus' own words of his expectation. So we should not take his words lightly because he repeats certain things over and over again. And so he, the, the big thing that keeps coming through is watch, pray, be ready. Watch, pray, be ready. Notice that watching has to do with spiritual sensitivity, awareness of your condition, awareness of the spiritual environment you're in. Many people, for example, are so caught up with all the political situation uh, in America, for example, and in New Zealand, that they actually fail to discern what the core issues are. They're just not discerning at all. And so he said, you need to be ready, you need to, be, you need to watch, you need to be discerning, not just what's happening around you, but you need to be discerning what's going on in your own life, your own heart, your own attitudes, the way you're living your life. Right? And uh, so he gives us the one, and then tells us how we should behave. To the virgins, you must pay the price of intimacy so your life is saturated with the presence of the Lord. To the servants with the talents, he talked about the necessity of deploying what you have to serve the Lord in whatever capacity and call and assignment you're given. This is very, very important. And so as we go through them in, in the wise and in the first one here, the wise and faithful servant, he's basically talking that you need to do the will of God and faithfully serve in spite of difficulties. We're called to love people. I'll come on to that in a moment. The parable of the ten virgins. We're called to, to cultivate a deep intimacy with the Lord. And the parable of the talents. We're called to be faithful and productive with what we have. Now, if you look at the stories a little closer, you realize that the focus is not on the wise virgins, but on the foolish ones. How do you know that? Because there's only three verses on the wise virgins and there's seven on the foolish ones. So if I said three lines talking about one group and seven talking about another, which do you think I really want you to hear about? See, it's, it's the foolish ones. And same in each of the parables. The, the servant who had the one talent, there's more verses on him than on the others. And in this parable here, there's also more, more verses on the foolish servant than on the wise one. Now, why is it that there are more verses on the unfaithful servant, the foolish virgins, and then the unfaithful servant? Why is that? Because Jesus wants to draw our attention. It is very easy to become like them. And the warning he's given is not to be like them, but to be ready to prepare ourselves and to act in a way that he's called us to act. So every one of the parables contains an instruction. They all have got a very clear instruction. And not only that, they've all got a promise of either reward or loss. Now just think about that for a moment. He gives a clear instruction because a parable is a story with a spiritual meaning behind it. And there's an instruction in each story. And at the end, there's a promise of reward or loss. Now, that would be a great subject for you to begin to explore. I've got a whole series of teachings on my website, about 10 sessions on that whole area of eternal rewards. And eternal rewards are just that. They go on for eternity. They are acknowledgments of intimacy, of faithfulness, and of our changed life. So we have to qualify for those things. And Paul was very aware of that. It, it comes right through all his teaching. He said, there's a race to run. At the end of his life, he said, I've run my race. I finished my course. I kept the faith. Henceforth is laid up for me a crown of life. See? And not only for me, but for all who love his appearing. That's more than just, oh, I love Jesus going to come back. That's actually to love his appearing or to love that he will return so much that affects the way we do our life. Oh, you all got real quiet about this. Okay, now, here's the thing. 
The focus of all three parables is the one who failed to do what they needed to do. And the lesson in all of them is the same. If you behave like that person, you will experience what they experienced. Is that is kind of simple? If I copy their behavior, I'll end up experiencing what they experienced. So you want to look through and see what they experienced and then study it and you'll find there's much, much teaching on it. So let's go back then and look into this parable and we're going to look, there's two servants mentioned and uh, the first is the wise and the faithful servant and then there's the other servant. Okay, now automatically you kind of put yourself in the first category but we should not assume that that's where we are. Here it is, the wise and the faithful servant. First of all, here's a few things about him. Notice it says uh, in the passage, it says here, Bless, uh, who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has made rule over his household to give them food in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. I tell you, he'll make him ruler over all his goods. Now, there's many significant things in there. Let me just show you a few things on it. The first thing to realize is he's the servant of the Lord. This is a believer. This is a believer God is talking about. And notice there, he's sensitive to the master's requirements. He is sensitive to the master himself, and he's sensitive to his requirements. Now, the only way you can be sensitive to the Lord and sensitive to what he requires is if you have a heart that worships him. It's out of intimacy we get to know what God is like. Out of intimacy we hear his heart. Out of intimacy we're able to actually receive instructions, receive directions. So although it's not stated, this is a man who has listened carefully and understands the heart of his master. Notice he is faithfully serving God's people. So this parable focuses particularly on serving the people of God. This is about the household. It's talking about the church. And it's talking about servants in the church. It looks when you first look at it like it's mainly about pastors and leaders, but as we'll see, Jesus applies it to everyone. So you notice there then, then we're talking now about the household of God, the family of God, the church of the living God. Now, whether you think it's a great place or a poor place, whether it's well run or not run, it's still the house of God and everyone is still a servant to God. And so he watches then how we fulfill our responsibilities in the house. If you think about this, a son or a daughter grows up in a house and are prepared for their life or their future. Likewise, we grow up in a house. The house of God is the place of our preparation. It's not where all your life and ministry is done, but it prepares you for life and ministry. The fivefold ministry gifts are for the equipping of you for your ministry of service. They are for the empowering of your ministry of service. They are also for maturing you, but that requires your cooperation. So every believer is called to become mature, grow up. That means you've got to receive correction, instruction, direction, training. Every one of us is called to serve. That means we need a place in the house where we do our chores or do our part of serving. And then we have a life where we have service in our family, in the community, and so on. So notice here, he is faithfully serving his, uh, his uh, God's people. He's fulfilling his assignment. Notice here, he's giving meat in due season. What does that mean? Well, meat means nourishment. It means often the Bible talks of meat as being the word of God. So it's saying this is what the servant is doing. He is nourishing and building up other believers. And notice it says in due season. Meat in due season means there is a sensitivity to what God is wanting to say to his people at that time. So you can't just live out of what you learned last year. We need to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. What is he saying now? That's a prophetic flow coming out of hearing the heart of God. So all of us can be sensitive to what God is saying. I remember when we started uh, our Christian life, we were in a church where they practiced the ministry of the body. When everyone came together, everyone came with something that God had been speaking to them about. And you, I would be stunned how it's like God is talking to everyone about the same kind of stuff. None of us talk to one another, but when we come together to share, people are all hearing the same thing because they're listening to the same person. So to give meat in due season means that I am sharing with others the substance of the word of God that God has been feeding to me. Ooh, you all get so quiet over this day anyway. 
There it is. So, <laughs> so he's discerning what God is saying. And we need to be discerning the times we're in and what God is saying. So that servant is called wise and faithful. Now what happens? There's a reward. Notice now there's a reward for him. It says here, he will make him ruler over his household and make him ruler over all his goods. Now there's an interesting statement there. I can't go into developing all of that. But if you actually understand God's plan and God's purpose... His plan is to teach us in the course of our life how to be faithful in few things so he can promote us and bring us into rulership dominion with him over all his creation. That's always been his plan. What that all looks like, we've got no time to go into all of that now, but if that is God's plan, he will bring it about. So you notice here, he'll make him ruler over his household, ruler over all his goods. Clearly, this person is an overcomer. Because the promises of ruling in the book of Revelation are all given to those who overcome. Overcome what? Overcome temptation. Overcome lukewarmness. Overcome Jezebel. Overcome compromise. Overcome persecution and opposition and resistance. So as you understand, this servant has overcome. Now, if you're a leader in a church, you understand there's many things to overcome, not the least being the way you're treated by people. Because it can destroy your heart, it can destroy your confidence, it can destroy your faith. We get offended, we get upset by people, people hurt us, they betray us. They do all kinds of things. These are things to overcome because everything you overcome develops in you the character of Christ and makes you to become an overcomer. Or putting another way, you can only be an overcomer if you overcame. <laughs> so you're either in the journey of overcoming or you have overcome or you've been overcome. Now think about this. When people come for ministry, there's a part of their life they've been overcome in it. And God wants to help them to be free of it so they can become an overcomer in it. So in other words, his plan is not that we should remain in a state of brokenness and bondages and without spiritual authority, but that we would be transparent and humble and bring these areas to him and overcome them. The first step to overcoming anything is to name it and own that I've got to overcome it. Then I must do what God requires, whatever that is, in order to overcome it. So the book of Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3 is full of promises. It identifies what we've got to overcome and it tells us that those who overcome receive rewards from God. There is a reward for those who overcome. So he overcame. He's an overcomer. So you notice what is his reward? His reward is a major step up in responsibility and authority, which is exactly what is needed, and this is what God has promised, that we would share with him in the rulership and dominion over his creation. We are made, did you know man is made for dominion over the works of God's hand? You're created for this. You're not created to be a victim or oppressed. You're created to be in dominion. You're created to have victory. Now, we don't understand all that that will look like and how it will mean, but you get a glimpse of it through history of men who rose up and overcame and subdued opposition, and God did amazing things that transformed nations. This is going to happen in big style at the end of the age, but God requires a people that are prepared. Will you be such a person? You, will you be an overcomer? So we know then from looking at other scriptures that this person who overcomes and is put into a place of rulership over all God's goods has come into the first resurrection or will come into the first resurrection in order they might rule with him. So this is the most amazing thing because it tells us that those who come into the first resurrection will rule and reign with Christ over all things. <laughs> okay, what about the other guy? Well, you see, of course, the moment you read the parable, you know, really, there is another guy in the story. See, it's a story. Jesus told the stories. To, who's he telling them to? See, he's not telling them to the multitude. He's telling them to his own followers. So the two servants, the wise servant and the foolish servant, both represent his followers. And the context of it is, 
I want you to be ready. I want you to be prepared. I want you to be doing what I called you to do and not just lazy, unprepared, and so on. So this is what the story is about to tell us. So here it goes. Let's read the next one then. Let's read about the other servant. And here it is. Now that evil servant, that means he has a very negative influence, says in his heart, just notice these statements, saying in his heart, this is all to do with heart attitude. He said, uh, he said, oh, my master delays his coming. Oh, you know, don't forget about that. Don't worry about the second coming of Jesus. Don't even think about it. It's not going to happen. You understand? That's the thinking and mentality. And he says, and then he begins to beat his fellow servants and eat and drink with the drunkards. And the master of that servant will come on a day he's not looking for him and an hour he's not aware of, will cut him in two, appoint him in his portion with the hypocrites, and there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So let's have a look what he's saying to us through that story. Okay, so notice now the, the, the foolish and unfaithful servant. Now, the first thing is, he's a servant of the Lord. He's a believer. He could be the person next to you. I'm sure it's not you. And so what he's saying in the story is that the same servant who acted wisely could act foolishly. Are you that servant? See, we are all servants of the Lord. Are you acting wisely with your life or foolishly with your life? Now, I can't tell that. I can't even begin to judge that. The Lord is the one who will sort that one out because he knows where every one of us is. He deals with us justly. So we can't look at other people and, and, and criticize them or judge them, whatever. We need to just learn to do what God calls us to do. Okay, so the second thing you notice then about him is his heart condition. Now, the first one is wanting to please his master, so he's prepared and he's doing what he's called to do. There's an intimacy with his master. There's a, there's a love for the Lord. There's a softness in his heart and a desire to please his master, to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Now, that's really the motivation for all believers, to hear at the end of your course or at the coming of the Lord, well done, good, faithful servant. Faithful over little, I'll make you ruler over much. Now, when you have that dream, desire, passion, vision, you're not worried about what people are thinking or whether they're even looking. There's no eye service. I'll do it when someone's around. Actually, we're doing this because God is watching every part. I'm in my journey of qualification. So notice there he says, he says in his heart, my master delays his coming. The, the, the statement says in his heart indicates a heart attitude towards the Lord. This is something people say in their heart. They're not saying it out loud. This is a heart attitude, a heart condition. He's lost his focus on God and God's intentions. There's no understanding of what the master has in mind, that he's on a journey of preparation for promotion. So he's not thinking about that. He's just thinking about himself. So uh, the Bible says that the heart is the center of God's attention. It tells us out of your heart flow the issues of your life. So your life flows out of what you let get in your heart. You let disappointment get in your heart, it will affect your life and relationships. You get bitterness get in your heart, it will affect your life and relationships. You let your heart be broken or it gets broken and you don't do something about it, it will affect your life and your relationships. It will stop you experiencing love, it will keep you separated from love, and it will stop you being able to fulfill your potential. So it's important that a heart be in a great condition. See, he's lost his first love, essentially. Remember, that's what Jesus said to the church in the book of Revelation. I have this against you. You've done lots of things, but you've lost your first love. You've lost your passion, that love, that desire, that intimacy. This is what he had done. He'd lost that passion and intimacy. When we lose our passion and intimacy and longing for the Lord, which includes his presence now, now that shows up in worship. Do I engage in worship? Do I love the presence of God? Do I love to be with him and hear his voice and be in his presence and respond to him? Or am I just sort of a bit of a spectator in it all? That's how it shows up. See, it shows up, is there intimacy or not? When there's intimacy, the heart is open and receptive. When there's no intimacy, the heart is shut down. That's why there's no intimacy. So that's why worship in the last days is going to become a great issue for the church. My participation privately and corporately in engaging God's presence in worship. Because if I did, I would understand that's what he's seeking or desiring or looking for are worshipers, people who worship him. Are you a worshiper in love with him? Or have you let your love be cooled because of what you've experienced in life? 
So he's lost that. Now Jesus in Luke 21 warned about this very thing. He said, take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with wild living and drunkenness and the cares of life and the day of the Lord come on you unexpectedly. For it will come. It meaning the day of the Lord will come like a snare on all who dwell on the face of the earth. Watch therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and stand before the Son of Man. So I won't go into all the details of that, but if I share just this, Jesus is saying you must guard your heart because it's easily to be overtaken by a whole range of things. He mentions drunkenness and he mentions the cares of life. Just worry how I'm going to do life. Just the cares of life can weigh your heart down that you lose intimacy and passion for the Lord and living a life that honors and pleases him. So saying he gives them a warning. He says, he says, he said, watch. He said, it's going to come. The coming of the Lord will come like a snare. In other words, he's going to catch everyone out if they're not in a place of intimacy and connection with him. It's not that hard to do. Wherever you are is okay with God. Just journey forward into deeper relationship with him. Build your prayer time, spend time with him, hunger for his words, love to be in his presence, participate in worship, start to grow deeper, spend time fasting, start to commit yourself to deepen your relationship with him. See, you can be inspired in the church, but you've actually got to make your own relationship. And he said, the warning is that if we don't do that, our heart will be weighed down with everything that's going on in the world. Worried about COVID. Worried about this, worried about, see, worried about all kinds of things. That's what, that's what it means. Hearts weighed down, burdened by what's going on around you, and you've lost your simple joy of the Lord. COVID's going on. Oh, well, okay, it's going on. I'm in love with Jesus. I'm passionately serving him. Everyone's, ooh, ooh, quarantine and things. Listen, stop worrying about it. Like, shouldn't be all burdened and heavy down my desert. It's inconvenient, but that's not the focus of our life. It's just an inconvenience, and it's a setback in some areas, and, it's, and it can be a great loss in some, to some situations. But our focus is on Jesus all the time, keeping our eyes on him. And he said, you watch out, otherwise it'll catch you out. He said, I want you to pray that you'll always be counted worthy to escape the tribulation or the things that will come on the earth. In other words, he's saying, hey, what you're experiencing now is nothing compared to what's coming. And instead, instead of hoping you'd be whisked out of it, you need to pray that the Lord, because of your lifestyle and relationship, will consider you worthy of being lifted up into a realm with him where you're protected from the things that happen on the earth. Okay, so here's the guy. So notice there, he's unconcerned at the prospect of his master coming back. He said, he says in his heart, my last of delays is coming. So in other words, he's lost his passion. He's become cold and unresponsive. It happens to lots of people. So here's the thing that he's lost sight of. Now, now you, you may think, well, I'm passionate. But have, this is what he lost sight of. He lost sight that every believer will be called to give account of their life and their stewardship. Everyone. You can't look around and say, well, you know, they're not, I'm okay compared to them. Listen, you cannot compare yourself to anyone else. This is your race. Run it and finish it well. Finish it passionately. Finish it with a faithful servant heart. Let it be known of you, I was faithful to the heavenly vision. Okay? And, and so, uh, so, so we see in that story, our delays is coming. So he loses sight that there's an accountability that remains reward or loss, and that is eternal. We're not talking about whether you're in heaven or not. Not talking about whether you're saved or not. This is about the rewards God has planned for those who love him. So he's got no fear of consequences. Now that is the condition generally of the church. A lack of awareness that every one of us gives account for what we say and do and respond to God and that there are consequences of it. That there's reward for those who are faithful, there's loss for those who are not. This is what motivates us internally to pursue the Lord and stay on course. No matter what anyone's doing. This is what's kept me over the years, what kept joy over the years. All the many things that happen, but I can't let go of the heavenly corner. I can't let go of Him. What would I have without Him? So, so we need to ask, oh, give me revelation of this. Open my eyes to discover it. See, and so, 
when we live in hope of Jesus' return and specifically in hope of eternal reward, it changes how you live and relate to people. It changes how you live and relate to people. See? So notice here, his neglect of love for, his, uh, for the master shows up firstly in how he treats the fellow servants. Notice there, it says, uh, he says, he begins, verse 29, 49, he begins to beat his fellow servants, eat and drink with the drunkards. Notice there, he beats the fellow servants. So what does that mean? Now remember Jesus telling a story. So he's using a picture. And in the picture, the guy who's supposed to be looking after everyone begins to beat them, hurt them. And that word beat means repeatedly strike, meaning it's a lifestyle or a habit. It's a way of treating fellow believers. So what would that look like? I just think, oh, that's okay. I might go around with a stick beating people. Well, in many ways, you know, it means literally to beat them with a pain or to cause, inflict suffering on them, to mistreat them. So what could they look? That could look like gossip. Gossip is heating people with words. Could like being critical and judgmental. Could look like withholding love. Because when people need love, and you, fail, and you withhold your gift and your love and your time, whatever, from them, it wounds them, it hurts them further. Think about it. So lots of ways this could be. But basically, at the core of it, uh, it means that we're withholding and we're tr- mistreating people that Jesus loves. Remember what Jesus said when he appeared to Paul. Why are you persecuting me? He identifies directly with that person next to you. What you do to the person next to you, God considers done to him. Husbands and wives. Think about that one. How we treat one another in the church. Are we dismissive of people? Are we judgmental of people? Critical of people? Or do we have a passion to love them and welcome them and serve them and build the house? Sons and daughters build the house of God. They're given giftings. The gifts of the Spirit are given for the building of people. So we're not to hurt and wound and misuse people and mistreat them and take advantage of them. We're actually to have an attitude to love them and build them and bless them. I found many Christians, they have the attitude that they will, they will, they will do what, you, what, that, what seems to be good, but it's only until they get what they want. And then as soon as they got what they want, then now you're, they cast you aside. That actually wounds you very deeply. To know that someone just wanted what they could get from you and then just turned away like you counted for nothing, that is a blow to the heart. And it's not always easy to get over that I was mistreated and taken advantage of that way. So Jesus is talking to people in the church who will have a lack of his heart of love for his people and therefore will misuse the relationships and hurt the people in the body of Christ. That's what he's talking about here. And you think, oh man, there's so much of that goes on. I'm sick of church. That's why it's all going on. Now listen, you've got to realize that, that God brings everyone to account. Have you forgotten they'll all face up to him? You don't have to be upset and, and, and hold on forgiveness and bitterness. God's got it all sorted out. Everyone gets theirs. It's true. He's called the just judge of the earth. See, the problem of overemphasis on grace causes us to misunderstand that God is also holy and just and everyone gets called to account. And people don't like that because it requires them to be responsible for your words and actions to other believers. What about the other church down the road? What about other ministries? What about people that fail? How do we treat them? Is it with love and honor and value because they're members of the father's family Or do we use their weakness, vulnerability, or exposure to then add to the burden of criticism and rejection? It's looking more like there's more people in that category than we thought. The second thing about that servant, or the first thing was his heart condition, and that showed up in the way he treats the fellow believers. Now, the second thing is, is his lifestyle. It says he begins to eat and drink with the drunkards. Now, what does that mean? It means basically... His heart is now entwined with the values of the world. To eat and drink with the drunkards means, to eat and drink normally means that we're in fellowship, communion and connection. We're drinking and drawing from the, the same lifestyle. The fact that he mentions the word drunken, it means sort of a lack of restraint. Or in other words, putting a simple way, the world and its values are now deeply ingrained in his life. So he's the servant on Sunday of the Lord, 
showing up at church, but the rest of the time, there's no difference in his lifestyle and the lifestyle of the world, the values of the world. No family building, no marriage building, no, no kind of uh, serving. There's, it's like his whole lifestyle is caught up in the same way the world is. There's no separation in heart and lifestyle. One of the greatest things my daughter just said to me, actually my son said the same thing uh, just recently. He said it publicly on the platform too. And, and she was teaching, she was in a, a teacher aide in a local school and uh, they, that this is the discussion they were having. How do you handle all the yelling that goes on and the shouting that goes on in the house? And she said, well, I don't have to handle it, it never goes on. I never heard my mum and dad shout all their lives. It's never happened. But she come home to us and she said, you realize, I've realized our family, what we consider normal is completely abnormal to everyone else I know in the school. Now you understand, that's what this is talking about. It's building a life which has a different value system. David said, you know, in all the years, I never ever heard dad shout. I never heard him swear. I never heard him yell at mum. I never heard him do lots of things, but I did hear him pray. Can you understand? This is about the lifestyle, whether you live with the same value system as the world or whether you adopt a kingdom value system for how you do life. When you adopt a kingdom value system, you treat people differently. And that means now, now, now this works out really practically in how you do business with people. We, uh, I'll just give you an example. We had one of the ladies in our, in our, in our uh, church and she, um, she was suffering a lot of sickness and she kept being moved around from house to house. I said to Joel, why don't we should buy her a flat so she's stable and doesn't have to shift around everywhere. And so we went, we're in a church prayer meeting, and, and I, she Joyce said, that's a great idea. She spoke to someone who just came, and she said, oh, yeah, I've got a place just down the road there. And so we bought this little flat, and it was for this lady to live in, so she had to go shift around again. So she paid us a bit of rent, and she lives in there, but no one's going to mess with her, and we're looking out for her. And, uh, and then the guy came, and he wanted to buy the whole place out. And I said, well, no, I don't really want to sell it, because, you know, it's not about the house or whether I can make money on it. It's actually about caring for someone. And so we did that. Anyway, the time came and we felt actually we should do that. And uh, so we arranged then only to get another place for us. So anyway, found this. So when we bought this flat, this is what happened. We got in there and there's an old lady about 90 in there and uh, she wanted, uh, she accepted our offer. And I said, look, this is what we'll do. I said, what, what's happening in your life? And she said, oh, well, we're, I'm, uh, I'm planning to go back to Australia. We're getting older now and I want to be with family when I die. I said, great. I said, look, I said, here's what we'll do. I said, we'll buy the house off you and uh, the little, little flat and you can stay in it until you're ready to leave. I said, what are you going to do with all your stuff? She said, oh, I don't know what to do with it all. I said, well, look, why don't we just buy the furniture off you? This would work out a price. I said, here's what you can do. You can stay in the house till you're ready to go and then pack up your bag and walk out. We'll fix everything up for you. And so she did exactly that. And then about 18 months later, uh, 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 someone came up to me and said, I just want to thank you for how you treated my mother. And I said, what do you mean? And she said, well, remember, uh, you, you bought that little flat off my mother. I said, oh, yeah, that's right. We did too. And uh, I didn't realize that's your mother. She said, how is she doing? She said, oh, she's died. But she said, I want you to know you deeply impacted her life and made that shift so easy for her. How about that? You see, see under, understand, it's just about having a heart for people and not trying to take out of everything and get the last dollar and treat people like they have no value. This is a lifestyle of how you're treating people. Making sense? And particularly the people of God. So notice the Bible tells us that, uh, you know, because even, even Paul had the same trouble. He, he said in 2 Timothy, he said that Demas left me, having loved this present world. Now, there's no record that Demas didn't stop preaching. There's no record that he stopped ministering. He just said he left me because I've got a lifestyle that's pretty rigorous. We're passionate for the kingdom here, and we go through some upheavals and difficulties, and he abandoned me and left me. So, see, because he loved this person, well, he loved a comfortable lifestyle over serving God. Think about that. So, here's the next thing about that servant. He's totally unaware of the spiritual season and timing. The Lord returns unexpectedly. He'll come when he's not looking for him. So, here's the thing. If you live out of intimacy with the Lord, with a heart that's cold to him, and you're indifferent to people and mistreat them, it's absolutely guaranteed when the Lord comes, you will not know it's happening. That's what, he's, that's what he's telling us. 
He's saying you'll be living in a state where there's so many other things occupying your attention, you'll have no idea of the season you're in. No idea of the time of your visitation. And that's what happened to Israel. Jesus visited and Jesus wept over it. He said he grieved because they missed the hour of visitation. So this is possible to do this. And the consequence of Israel missing their visitation was enormous for them. Think about it. So he said, what happened to the, fool, the servant? Well, the foolish servant, it says something's going to happen to him. Now, notice there are three things that it says there. It says he'd be cut in two, meaning, or it's referenced really literally to painful discipline. There is going to be a discipline. It doesn't say what it is. It just says he was given a bit of a beating. He was given discipline, or he was put through a discipline process because of his failure to be responsible. So, so Jesus not explaining at all what that might look like. He's just saying that for believers who are not prepared and ready at his coming, there will be experiences they have which act like a real discipline and correction and lead them to humility and repentance. Okay, second thing is, his portion will be with the hypocrites, or in other words, those who pretended to be believers, those who played the part of a Christian, but actually never lived it out. He said they'll be with them. Well, where will they be? They'll be going through a tremendous trouble on the earth in that season. And he will be with them in the sense he will experience what they experience. Now, again, there's no clarity about what that means. All it is is Jesus saying, don't be like that man. Don't be like that man. Uh, and, and it says, it says uh, the, finally there, it says, there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth, meaning that there will be sorrow. There'll be a deep sorrow and grief at the awareness of the loss. And the gnashing of teeth is an expression of regret and frustration. In other words, what he's saying is this. He said, for every person who was a believer, who had the honor of being in the family of God, who was under teaching ministry and teaching flow, but who failed to prepare their heart and became and stayed just like the world around them. He said, for that person there, there will be a deep, deep regret and frustration that they were so foolish in the way they lived out their Christian life. It doesn't go into the details of what it looks like. And we can't speculate on that. All we know is if God says there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, you're going to not like what's happening. Really, really. So... So, so you could look at that and say, well, maybe that's just only for pastors. Maybe we read that as just for pastors and leaders. And thank God I'm not one of them. And, uh, and you think, there, there it goes. But if you read the passage in Luke chapter 12, it adds a little bit in. And we'll just finish with this. In Luke chapter 12, Jesus is talking about the need for the servants to be ready. And he says, here it is, Luke 12 verse 40, you be ready. For the Son of Man will come in an hour you don't expect. And Peter said, Lord, are you speaking this only to us or is this to everyone? There it is. So is that one there only for, only for the leaders or is it also for everyone? And, and then Jesus tells the same story, exactly the same story. And he adds a little bit in. He says this, he adds in, and that servant, that means any person who's the servant of the Lord. Are you the servant of the Lord? Yes, you are. Every one of us has come to the Lord and now learned to serve him. He said, that, ma that servant who knew what his master's will was, but did not prepare himself, nor do according to his will, shall be beaten with many stripes. You can't get it away. That servant is referring to a believer who understood what God wanted, but never did it, understood the need to prepare, and never prepared. There is something that is sad that happens to them. I think it's God's correction process. There's unnecessary suffering to bring us to repentance and a change of heart. That's how God did it in the wilderness. It's certainly the way he works with people. When we won't listen to him, we have consequences of our, and that are painful, and they are to bring us to repentance, not to cut us off forever. So our opportunity to respond to God is now. Now is the day for us to prepare. Let me ask you then a couple of questions as we finish, because each of us is the servant of the Lord. How is your relationship with the Lord, your passion for him and love for him and anticipation of engaging him and meeting with him? Is there a hunger in your heart and a surrender to him in worship that goes on daily, or is there a lukewarmness in your prayer life and you're carried mainly by what others are doing? 
What about in serving God? Do you engage in serving God passionately? There's a place you're occupied helping the church grow. You see your work out in the community, your responsibility there as you're serving the Lord. Or are you careless about those things? What about your lifestyle? Is your value system and lifestyle distinguishable from the world around you? Or is it so similar that hardly people could know you're a Christian? Is there an anticipation and a longing for his return? A hunger, not just for his return, but a hunger for him and for his presence. Why don't we close our eyes right now? Very clearly, Jesus gave a principle that those who have been given with opportunities and gifts and talents and revelation, more is required. So right now, just as our eyes are closed, I just want to ask you this question. As you stop now, just begin to consider your heart. Begin to consider your service. Begin to consider your attitude to people in the church, whether they're leaders or members or people who are just different to you, or maybe it's people in other churches. They're still the family of God. Is there a passion in your heart towards the Lord? Or do you need to repair the altar of the Lord and again return to him? Is there an indifference to the Lord? And it shows up in the way you're treating the people around you and people in the church. Critical, judgmental, negative, gossipy, withholding your serving, withholding your giving. What about your lifestyle? Are you burdened with everything around you? Or are you living a life of intimacy with the Father and learning how to lean and put your cares on Him? Is your lifestyle distinguishable? The way you talk, the way you live, the way you look at people and treat people, the way you use your money, the way you serve in your work or your home or whatever it is. Are you distinguishable from the, by the way that you live? Or are you so much like everyone around you because you want to be accepted by them? See, this is the time to repent. God's inviting us to repent. Just raise your hand right now if you felt God speaking to you about the need to repent, to rebuild the altar of the Lord, the need to repent of how you've treated fellow believers, how you've treated people around you, the, the need to repent of neglecting serving with passion and excellence. If you need to repent because your lifestyle is entangled so much with what's around you. The recent events in our nation and the world have overwhelmed you. Say, God, I need to come back to you. If that's you, would you raise your hand just right now, just wherever you are right now. Many, many hands going up. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. If you're watching online, then surely these questions are for you too. Why don't you right now bow your head and just let the Holy Spirit come on you. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for each one that's responded. I pray that this word will burn in their hearts. I pray you'd impart fresh fire, a fresh hunger for the living God, a fresh passion to be in your presence. I pray, Father, that you would move them into active, loving people, that, Lord, you would work in transformation, healing of broken hearts. I pray, Father, that you would inspire faithful service and godly living. Holy Spirit, we bless this church and its ministries. May it grow and increase and flourish in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.